All right, we are at seven o'clock and we do have a quorum, so I might suggest that we go ahead and get started if that sounds all right. <clears throat> um, Excellent. So I'll call the order. Oh, hang on, here's Dave. That's good. I have a new monitor and it does this split screen thing and I'm just kind of getting used to it. So. <laughs> um, all right, so we are live to the town now. So we'll call a meeting to order, the Finance Committee meeting of uh, Monday, September 19th. <clears throat> and our first order of business this morning is uh, this after this evening, <laughs> it is Monday, um, is the auditor's report for FY21. And I'm gonna turn that over to uh, Randy Brent to uh, make, our, make our introductions and get us started. Thank you, Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Um, we have uh, our auditors uh, uh, on the line here tonight, uh, Tony Roselli, Paul uh, Gargano, um, and uh, they're gonna walk us through um, highlights of our <coughs> FY21 um, financial results. Tony. Randy, just okay. one second, did we need to record? Oh, she said, we're out of practice or I'm out of practice here. So thank you, Emilio. Um, Recording in progress. All right, now we're legal. Tony. Okay, thank you, Randy. Uh, so uh, myself and Paul are uh, on um, on to do the exit conference, and I'm the managing partner for Roselli Clark and Associates. So I'll do some of the high level um, stuff that we look at during the audit, some of the financial information. That's uh, that I know you folks uh, like to get engaged with. So ask questions as we go through. Paul will get. I'll turn it over to Paul towards the end, and he he can go through some of the uh, findings and observations that we um, you know came across as part of our audit procedures. So Andy, we can go to the next Andy, slide. Next slide. All right. So that's right. just so that's just skip through this. That's just a table of contents. So we can just skip through that. Uh, just real quick for any new members, um, you know, what's an audit? Um, we have to follow what's called the yellow book, which is put out by the GFOA in Washington. And those are the standards we follow. They give us these guidelines every three or four years, they change them up. So we've got to transition into new guidelines, but that's what we follow. And basically it requires us to look at internal control over the major transactions. And the major transactions are receipts, payroll, and disbursements. Those are your three major transactions. So we do a deep dive into those transactions. Um, bunch of samples. So we do a lot of that over the summer. Uh, this year, we're kind of delayed. So we'll be doing it in October for fiscal 22. Uh, but, but that's kind of what we do in the summer. We kind of split up the audit into two sections. Then, um, it also requires us to do a risk assessment. So are there any areas of risk like significant cash handling areas? And what are the controls in those significant cash handling areas? And how does the town uh, handle that? And uh, so that's another thing we do. And that's more of a sit down with the finance team uh, to determine what they go through on a monthly basis to uh, make sure that those controls are, are in place uh, at the town. Um, uh, next, we do what's called a single audit. If a town receives more than $750,000 and spends that in federal financial assistance, we have to do a single audit. So 
a lot of our smaller towns don't hit the 750 threshold. Canton hits it every year. Uh, and in the coming years in particular, as you spend down your ARPA, uh, there's going to be uh, single audits involved with ARPA, uh, as well as CARES in the, uh, in the past year. So uh, the single audit happens all the time. And that's a separate report that goes to um, the federal government. And it goes off to a bunch of state agencies that provide oversight for the federal government. Um, at the end of the process, we have to issue an opinion. Do we issue a clean opinion or a qualified opinion? Qualified opinion means we got a lot of disagreements with management. We've got standards that are not being followed by management, uh, different accounting pronouncements that you don't follow. Uh, happy to report that Canton follows all the standards uh, that need to be followed. So we were able to issue a clean opinion uh, once again. Um, and then lastly, is SAS uh, 115, which is our ability to communicate material weaknesses and significant deficiencies if there are any, and happy to report there were none. So, um, so we don't have to do a special SAS 115 report for the town. So any questions on just what an audit is? I like to do that at the beginning of each exit conference, just so everyone knows uh, where we're at with, with an audit. <laughs> Okay, Randy, I think we can go to the next slide. Okay, so what we, I broke this out into the financial trends for the town. And you can see that the town has been basically in an upward trend since 2009. So to, I picked 2009 because that's the year after the huge financial collapse uh, back in 2008 when Lehman Brothers um, just caused a major domino effect on the financial marketplace, which rippled through the economy and caused all kinds of mortgage defaults and a whole bunch of things to happen. And, um, you know, since then, Canton has just been on an upward, uh, upward trend. So each year you're, you're going up three or 4%. Uh, you're doing it in a conservative manner. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's not a, like these big um, increases that I'm seeing in some other towns, but it, you're doing it enough to keep your AAA. So you've got a AAA bond rating, this sort of growth is what your bond rating agency wants to see to maintain that AAA. So some growth like this is, is very good for the town. And like I said, it's not, it's not growth that is overgrowth, but it's nice, steady growth. Uh, any questions on this particular slide? Okay, Randy, we can go to the next slide. Yeah, I just compared uh, in this slide, just comparing like I always do, Canton uh, to the S&P tier one metric, which is 15%. And Canton's, I think, nudged over 20% at this point on their reserves. So, so really in good shape there. You got 5% of wiggle room in case something crazy happens. You do have some room there. I suggest you like to keep that 5% uh, and, not, and not spend that down. And then your state average is around 10%. So you're well above your state average. And then the low end metric, which you want to avoid is 4%. That's when you start really losing ground on your bond rating. So, um, so this particular chart shows how well you compare to the rest of the players. And, and I think it bears favorably for the town of Canton. Um, any questions on this slide? Okay. I don't think this is new news to all you folks. You know, you guys are managing the town well, and I think you kind of managed to have this approach. So uh, 
So this is kind of confirming what the town's philosophy is. So let's look at why, um, you know, why some of this went up. Well, your revenues beat forecast by 4 million. So you had a, uh, a great year uh, coming off the pandemic. Um, you might've reduced your revenue forecast a little bit, taken a conservative approach. The economy bounced back. So you were able to beat your forecast by 4 million. You were also able to beat your expenditure budget by 1.3 million. So you're able to turn back 1.3. That 5.3 million got added to your fund balance. About half of that got added to your unassigned fund balance, which caused that little jump that we saw on the previous slide. Uh, the other half has been reserved for different reasons, uh, subsequent year budgets and capital and things like that. So, um, so about half and half, which again, that's a very nice split um, to be uh, managing through. Um, so the metrics, like I said, uh, we've already gone kind of through the rest of these as I talked about those other slides, but that's the major uh, highlight on this particular slide. Any questions on this slide? Okay, we can go to the next one. Okay, I haven't talked about this in a few years, so I thought it was a good idea to bring this up. Um, so your long-term obligations, uh, which is your pension, unfunded pension liability, and your unfunded OPEB liability. And for those who don't know what OPEB stands for, it's other post-employment benefits, which is, for the most part, the health insurance that you have to pay your retirees on behalf of your retirees when they leave the town of Canton. So your unfunded liability on the pension side is $38.4 million. Uh, that's decreased by $6 million over the prior year, which is a really nice uh, situation. And you're over 70% funded. So it's at an all-time high on the funding side, which is a really, really nice uh, place to be on your pension. Um, what a lot of towns have, are starting to look at is pension obligation bonds. Uh, you guys are really progressing nicely here. So where you're at 70% probably doesn't make sense. But some of these other pensions in the state that are still at 35, 40, 45% are actually took, taken have taken advantage of low bond rates and have gone out and borrowed the unfunded liability, betting that their annual debt service will be less than what they have to pay the pension because they're so underfunded. Uh, so I don't know if you're hearing that chit chatter in your, um, you know, some of your bulletins and alerts that you're getting, but North Andover is one that just did about I want to say over 200 million in pension obligation bonds. And they got their unfunded pension obligation from under 50% to 99%. And they've taken an approach where their dollar cost averaging the proceeds from that debt. So they didn't take the entire hit as the market dropped into investments. So um, huge story behind that. If you're ever interested, um, um, Andrew Flanagan, who's a town manager over at uh, Andover, he loves to talk about it. And, uh, and I think the way they set that one up is going to work very well. Um, but like I said, you guys are running pretty good here. So um, uh, might not make a lot of sense for uh, Canton. Plus, you belong to a regional uh, retirement system. So it adds some complexities to the process when you belong to a regional uh, system. Um, on the OPEB, your unfunded liability is 86.9 million. Um, that's actually an increase of 4 million over the prior year. And the reason that happened is the discount rates had to come down because the bond rates 
dropped significantly and the bonds are part of your investment portfolio. So it knocked your discount rate down a little bit. I think it's a temporary thing because the bonds are now starting to recover. So I think you'll see a pickup uh, in that. You'll probably see a positive uh, uh, increase in OPEP at the end of 2022. I think the bond rates are back up to 4% where they were at 2% at the end of 2021. Um, the good news is your investment income was 1.8 million, which is the highest ever by far in the OPEB fund. And your plan assets increased from 6.4 million to 9.1 million. So, um, so on your long-term obligations, it looks like you're going in the right direction uh, in terms of managing these. Um, and um, any questions on, on these types of items? I see one. Hi, Tony. Um, maybe this is a question for Randy, but um, the the so we're we're at over seventy percent funded. Do we have a target date for when the pension is fully funded? Is that something we're shooting towards? Yes, Norfolk County is on a schedule to be fully funded by by the end of twenty fiscal twenty thirty, and um, we had a re they had a review meeting with the um uh the Norfolk County towns uh this summer and um despite the market volatility that we had seen up until that point um it still looked like a very achievable goal of course we're in new territory now so I'm not sure how that's uh, going to shake out but they um they they've got a very uh very very good plan uh been very satisfied with it and I'm hoping they do hit that date, so then we can um, suggest uh, redirecting our significant annual pension assessments to the OPEB liability and start to drive that down uh, dramatically. Thanks, Randy. Sure. Yeah, um, Norfolk County's done a nice job of managing the fund. You're probably one of the better managed um, regional retirement systems. So. Um, so I, I don't know of one that's over 70%. That's a regional. Um, of course, you've got like the city of Cambridge, which is at 99% and some of those wealthier communities that they have their own system, you know, they're getting close to 100%. But 70% uh, is a very nice place to be. It's, it's above the state average, which is 64%. Um, so you're, you're in a good situation. And like I said, they've done a really nice job of navigating um, through the ups and downs in the uh, marketplace over, um, you know, at the beginning of this 10-year run, uh, then there was a sustain, nice sustained growth of market appreciation. And hopefully they apply the same sort of uh, metrics and processes to, uh, to what's been happening in the market right now. Another question? Yeah, uh, this is Dan. So maybe this is for Randy too. Randy, I thought on the OPED on an annual basis, we kind of pay as we go, right? We, whatever that expense is, that's in, we pay that out of our current revenues, correct? Correct. Uh, the, the PAYGO component is part of the um, health insurance budget because yeah. we're, we're covering our share of the retiree insurance um, premiums, you know, for folks that are retired. But there's an incremental amount beyond that for folks who haven't been aren't retired uh, that still require a um, a charge uh, to um, uh, you know to to this liability. Um, but we also are forward funding um, by over a million dollars 
uh, a year, uh, where the goal is to increase that 100,000 a year until we get to 1.5 million, uh, which is about uh, three years away. And then shortly after that, um, in 2030 or 2031, assuming Norfolk County um, gets to be fully funded, our uh, our assessment is going to drop dramatically by like six or seven million dollars annually, and and it'll be my recommendation to direct that to to OPEP at that point in time. Okay. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that's all the questions, Randy. We'll go to the next page. Nope. <laughs> so next page is ARPA. Uh, my favorite word for the last year and a half. <laughs> and uh, literally when this first came out, 30 phone calls a day, uh, emails, texts, it was just uh, chaotic. Um, all this money just landed and towns weren't sure what they could spend it on. Some of them still aren't sure what they can spend it on because you're getting mixed, mixed uh, reviews. Um, the town got a $7 million award. Um, the way it works with Norfolk County is about 4.5 of that passes through Norfolk County and Norfolk County is a live county. It's not a, it's not a stagnant county or a, a lame county, like say a Barnstable, not Barnstable, but say like a Middlesex County. <laughs> so back in January, the feds, to make things easier for everyone, okay, and remember that I'll highlight easier, to make things easier for everyone, they said, up to 10 million, you're exempt. So everyone celebrated and said, said, okay, we can spend up to 10 million on anything we want before we have to look at buckets. And um, which basically covered in Massachusetts, I think 325 out of the 351 towns. So it made it real easy. But then all of a sudden there were three or four counties that said, wait a minute, we are direct recipient of the federal money. So the 10 million applies to us. It doesn't apply each to all of the members of the county. So now you've got to go through this really cumbersome, confusing and challenging process to get your money from Norfolk County. And um, you're not the only town. I had a conversation with Randy earlier and he was kind of explaining to me what he's got to go through. And then he's still got the expense denied even though he followed all the rules and the, the processes. And uh, at this point, it might make sense. There are specialists out there that, um, that do manage the ARPA program for the towns. So we had talked about that today, about maybe using some of the administrative money that's in your ARPA fund to, um, to go out and get some specialists to just help that process along with the paperwork and, and kind of filtering out what's going to pass and what's not going to pass. So... Um, so the first 2.5 million that comes directly to the town, you can spend that basically on whatever you want. It's the second 4.5 that's going to be a challenge, and it has to all be obligated by uh, the end of 24. So, um, so it's something to uh, something to be aware of. Um, are there any questions on this? I know this is a hot topic. I think we have Emilio. Uh, with regard to counties, uh, what's the difference between an active county and a stagnant county that you were describing? Yeah, uh, about 15 or 20 years ago, the county form of government basically basically got abolished by the state of Massachusetts. 
But geographically, they left towns in counties that were designated geographically, but didn't operate as counties. For whatever reason, and I don't recall why, uh, there were three or four counties, a Norfolk, um, Barnstable, um, Plymouth. Uh, Plymouth and Bristol. There were four counties that were left to operate like they were counties uh, under the old system. The other 11 counties were completely abolished. And I don't know what went into that decision or why. Uh, and you happen to be in Norfolk County, which is one of those active counties. And um, because it's active, they're saying they own the grant and they're going to tell you what to do with the grant. Whereas Middlesex County gets the money. They don't have any active activity towards the money. So they just distribute that right out to the towns and the towns get to choose that as they spend that as they please. So um, so there's something in there that I think um, is a very, very um you know, uh, bad, terrible conversation and argument out there in the state of Massachusetts, because you could have a town 10 miles away from you that's in Middlesex County um, that's uh, that's receiving all the money and can spend it freely without going through all this burdensome paperwork. Whereas Canton, because you're in Norfolk County, you've got to go through this um, this process that uh, that ties up resources. It just makes it all um, a lot more difficult uh, to manage. The the other question I had was regard to ARPA and and also the CARES Act. How much did those two new sources of uh, funding uh, complicate the audit? And as far as the particularly in the case where some of these things are still kind of evolving. Yeah. So what happens is if you think about to the beginning of the um, presentation where I talked about single audit. The opera and the cares are part of the federal program. So it basically adds a, an extra program to the audit that we have to look at. And based on how the math works, we have to go through this calculation, this algorithm of how many programs we're going to audit. In some towns, it added two or three because it kicked it into a different, uh, the math kicked it into a different category. So in Canton, it did, uh, it did increase uh, the level of audit work. And um, the fees were absorbed by the grants themselves because there's administrative components to those grants. So they weren't absorbed by the audit budget. So we worked that out with, uh, with Randy and with the state to make sure that those fees were eligible. So, um, so that all worked out, but it does add to some complexities to answer your question to, um, to the audit. And uh, Tony, if I could add to that. Um, so then there was the wild card related to the CARES um, audit required by Treasury that um, that states audit a sampling of their sub-recipients. And, you know, Canton, uh, every town was a sub-recipient under the CARES uh, um, funding at $2.1 million. And Canton was randomly, I'm told, selected uh, for a sample audit um, of the, the CARES expenses. Um, and it was uh, quite a grueling process. Um, the majority of the spending uh, had to be reviewed, every invoice, every payroll, all the supporting documents that went into decision-making to spend the dollars uh, the way that the town did. Um, and uh, we, we, uh, we came through it 
um, just fine, uh, but not with um, not with some scars to uh, uh, for the effort. And that was direct from the state executive office of administration and finance to this department and the school department. And that won't happen under ARPA because ARPA is not being managed by the state. The CARES Act was being managed by the state of Massachusetts. So, um, so they're responsible for the monitoring of the grant. That's why you had that what's called a subrecipient audit done. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it seems like all of my towns are saying, hey, we were randomly chosen. <laughs> I think there was a lot of uh, a lot more than that randomness towards it. But um, on the opera, you've got this extra issue with the county um, that you've got to go through. That's that's almost as difficult as going through the audit process with the uh, state of Mass. So for Canton, you've got some you've got some hardships here in terms of resources and challenges on the paperwork and, and some burden. So uh, so hasn't been an easy process. The money is great, um, you know, to have and use and and uh, and put it to work. But it's just been a very, very difficult process. Thank you. Um, I had a question. I was wondering how much of this process with North Fork County is um, imposed on North Fork County um, in terms of if they're going to distribute the funds versus how much of it is um, created by Norfolk County. And that might politically be a messy question to answer, but I, I, I guess I'm just curious to what extent the county has determined this process or is it imposed upon counties? Well, the county right. has, the county has um, consultants that they've hired um, and those consultants are interpreting um, the regulations for the county. Um, whereas another set of consultants might interpret it differently. So, um, so I wouldn't want to say it's wrong or the treasury has stayed out of this. I will. <laughs> I, I know you will, but I'll say it's wrong is... because before you get to the, excuse me, Tony, before you get to the hiring of the consultants, the county had a choice to make. They could have passed the funds through and would have eliminated all of the, the headache and heartache that has gone along with their decision to retain uh, the $137 million allocated to Norfolk County. If they had made the smarter decision to just pass it through, take off the piece that they needed, we would have eliminated this issue, but they did not. And so now we are all suffering the consequences, meaning all the towns in Norfolk County. And I'm not uh, bashful about saying it. I'm extremely disappointed in that decision. And you, Plymouth County, Barnstable, and Bristol County are all voicing the same exact thing. So it's not, um, it, it, you're not alone on that island. Um, me, I got to kind of stay in the middle. So I, <laughs> I won't be as aggressively uh, opinionating that as, uh, as Randy just did. And is it the county commissioners who, where these decisions lie? Well, my understanding is they're the executive body to make the yeah. To make the decisions, uh, there may have been a recommendation from the treasurer, but I believe I believe the decision ultimately was theirs. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it strikes me as troubling that we might be in a position where we need to appoint, spend money to appoint an ARPA specialist to get access to funds from a county that should be supporting our work, not getting in the way of our work. But that's just an opinion. 
Well, well, I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Cindy. And unfortunately, that's where I am with this process at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's tenable for me to continue um, to uh, try to work through the Norfolk County process, given all of my other responsibilities, because of the difficulty that's created. If if we were able to, um, you know, use the, uh, you know, the $10 million, uh, up to $10 million ceiling for uh, any government, legal government spending, um, that would not be the case. But um, it is now the case. And, and so that's what I'm going to be advocating for. Thank you. Um, uh, do we have an estimate on how much an ARPA specialist would cost to hire, retain? How much? Uh, we'll find out. It's yeah, and it's basically an hourly rate, and it can it can go down a bunch of different uh, paths. It's 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 hard to um, yeah. It's, it's no one is going to say this is what it is and give you a fixed rate. That's that's not going to happen because because um, these things just have many twists and turns. And um, so, so um, I, I know some of the cities are spending a lot of money, uh, but they got set sixty or seventy million dollars, so they've got enough money to to to, to have um, someone uh, come in and do that. Um, but um, but I can send you a list of who's um, out there, Randy, in terms of um, who's available, and then you can kind of survey it and see what kind of um, what kind of dollars it's going to take. Uh, and if they're looking, if they can look at probably the types of projects you're looking at and, um, you know, kind of hopefully maybe ballpark it within a range. Right. And and Emilio, to your, to your point, um, it is one of the allowable expenditure categories under ARPA. Bo Boxborough actually uses, um, they use KP Law. KP Law has a, um, has a division that specifically... Um, helps towns with ARPA. And one of the reasons I like them is they've got the legal metal to, to, to go head to head with, you know, whereas the typical accountant consultant might not have that legal metal to go deep into the, the regulation, whereas, um, you know, the, the law firm might. So, uh, so KP Law, I know, is out there. Uh, CLA wouldn't be able to because they're consulting for Norfolk County, so they wouldn't be able to help you. And then there are a couple of others, but I can reach into the Rolodex and and um, send you some names and um, and you can go from there. Thank you. Okay, I think we. Okay, so I'm gonna um, just sit back and listen now, and we'll have Paul go through the um, the tail end of the presentation here and, and discuss the uh, findings and recommendations, and then. We'll take some more questions at the end if you haven't asked them all and, uh, and go from there. All right. Um, we had uh, three findings. Um, these were all previously reported in prior management letters. Um, these were partially uh, resolved. Uh, the tailings uh, almost entirely resolved. These are old outstanding vendor and payroll checks that uh, needed to be advertised and returned to anyone putting in cl any claims. Um, once the once a period of time go goes past, you get to bring that back into the general fund that was completed. Um, the final step is just a housekeeping bit with um, 
the banks just to get the outstanding checks off the bank reconciliations uh, to clean that up. Uh, the fire department details uh, were being tracked manually. Uh, the fire department was in the process of implementing an automated billing module through the Munis financial system that the town uses. Um, I believe that was scheduled to be up and running for fiscal 23. Um, so it should be in should be operational right now. We'll follow up with that with that uh, during our audit. Um, and finally, employment contracts. We had noted in the past that the town and the schools had a combined about 65 or so personal contracts out there. Um, made it very difficult for the HR and finance to um, monitor and administer the contracts, especially since uh, many of them had differing languages. Um, so we recommended consistent contract language and to investigate, you know, the possibility of whittling the number down, you know, in the future. Uh, the town uh, actually went through that process and did make all the contract language consistent. Uh, we're just recommending that the schools uh, do the same. And that was all we had. Any other questions? Like we'll be starting the uh, next audit on October 24th. So um, maybe next year we can do this um, a lot sooner. Typically uh, it's done in the, in the spring, uh, April or so. And uh, I know this year was a very busy year for everybody, um, but um, you know, some of the information might be, you know, a little more timely ne next uh, for the next year. Yeah, I think we were, um, Tony, I think we were thinking uh, maybe sometime in, in January or late January, if that fit your, your, oh, your schedule. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you would, you would talk about maybe leaving off the single audit piece, because that usually doesn't get filed till the last minute. C correct, correct, to, to yep. cover the core financials component, if that... Um, yeah. Schedule. Yeah, I mean these these take what a half hour, so it's not much time out of the day. And um, you know, uh, yeah, we can certainly accommodate a, a January um, uh, presentation. Great, perfect. That'll um, dovetail nicely with the the start of our the budget process. So that would be great. Yep. Any other questions or discussion points? Well, Paul and Tony, well, thank you both for joining us this evening. And I feel like the presentation was very clear and easy to follow. So thank you. And also for the background and make sure all of our members have context in terms of the, um, you know, the, what the audit is comprised of. So um, very helpful. Super. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. And uh, we'll see you in, uh, in about four months, I guess. <laughs> be here before we know it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So next up on the agenda, I'm going to turn it over to Randy for an update on um, FY22 financial results and um, some discussion of the current climate. And uh, and then we'll also review the calendar for FY24. Excellent. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, so uh, this was distributed um, to the, the FinCom and, and the Select Board. A uh, variety of others, um, so it's a uh, it's a longer uh, report with a lot of uh, a lot of 
numbers, so I'm just going to focus on the, the highlights, but please feel free to ask any questions about anything. Um, so we went into fiscal 22, which was the fiscal year that ended uh, this past June 30, um, with a quote budgeted uh, deficit of 3163000 meaning that we had put um, other funds, uh, particularly our, our cash uh, reserves, uh, into a variety of different projects um, that were was beyond our recurring revenues. Uh, so we plan to, to spend spend these items uh, out of our out of our reserves. So uh, 1.2 million uh, towards the Memorial Hall project, which is a, one subcomponent. Uh, the exterior renovation was some component of uh, what is now a uh, roughly 2.9 million dollar project. We also transferred 660,000 to the SPED reserve. Uh, 500,000 was a normal ask, and then. Um, the school's asked to recapture 160,000 in uh, excess FY21 circuit breaker funds that weren't spent down at the time. Um, then we had uh, the Little League bathrooms and snack shack project, uh, 600,000 replenishment of the school revolving re um, uh, accounts uh, because they spent those down um, uh, uh, using towards the, the COVID FY21 COVID efforts. Those are half a million dollars. Um, 200,000 from the excess state aid we received to resolve the snow and ice deficit and 15,000 for land taking. And we had reduced some capital uh, by about 24,500. So we, we had um, excess um, uh, funds that we had put towards the budget. So, so a net of 3,151 that we, we had planned to spend down out of our excess funds. And then there was this other item here that's otherly funded from the Uber and Lyft fees that we we collect. Uh, so it's just another another funding source. So three grand total, three point one six two million in deficit spending, um, and then the results. So uh, we had a great year. Um, we had uh, revenues coming in ahead of all of the expenditures by 1.89 million. When I say all the expenditures, I mean, including that 3.16 million in, in the deficits. Um, so uh, the total operating surplus was um, just over $5 million. And how we get there was um, local receipts were very strong, um, 1.89 million better than planned. Property tax revenue, 1.152 million better than planned. That was driven by new growth. Um, the solar facility uh, contributed an uh, incremental just about $1,000, $100,000, so which means that the rates that we're getting paid uh, per kilowatt are finally starting to increase again. I know that's bad news for every uh, every customer, residential customer out there, but as far as our solar farm goes, it's starting to push us back into higher positive territory because we were scraping the bottom the last two years, like just barely making, you know, $10,000, but above what we had, uh, what we had planned. Um, so this year was over a hundred thousand. And then we got some insurance proceeds, as you know, for the Galvin um, water uh, break there, about another 250,000. State aid uh, came in 229,000, better than plan. And then tax title revenue, you know, which we don't plan on about 149,000. So total revenue surplus, 3,771. And then unspent appropriations, uh, million three forty-five, just about. And our state assessments came in higher, so the state giveth up here. 
uh, and then they take it away over here. And it was primarily charter school and school choice related. Um, so, but a net of um, just over $5 million uh, as a positive variance to plan. And then um, again, just breaking down a couple of these components on the property tax side, um, our uh, new uh, new growth related to uh, real estate, personal uh, property uh, beat plan by 253,000 on real estate and um, over a million dollars in personal property, new growth. Uh, better than planned. So uh, over one and a quarter million dollars just from those areas. And again, you're continuing to see positive changes in new growth on personal property, primarily related to um, utility valuations, the big you know valuations of, of the utilities and infrastructure in the town. Um, our collection rate um, actually dipped this year um, for property taxes. We were at 98.57 at June 30. Um, and that's about, that was uh, 78 basis points less than the last year. Um, typically we're over 99% at June 30, but uh, as of the writing of this memo uh, a week ago, um, we are over 99%. So as you imagine, the, the payments still you know, do, do trickle in. Um, again, where did the, as far as the local receipts where, where that came, uh, or just put that, putting that in context, as you recall, we look for local receipts to come in a, a million and a half better than um, budget because we don't budget all of the local receipts. Um, we look to recharge free cash. So all of that cash spending you saw uh, up above over $3 million, we look to, to recharge at least a million and a half of that every year. And typically that's gonna come from local receipts. So as you recall, um, you know, it was uh, you know it was an open question whether or not we'd be able to achieve that in 22, given uh, how we were leaning on um, local receipts to balance the budget. Um, but uh, local receipts came in very strong, so we we, we did beat it uh, the budget by a million eight hundred ninety thousand. So we did return all of that uh, to recharge free cash, and where it came from was motor vehicle excise tax. Um, Beat plan by 774,000, which is significant, and building permits by 428,000. Um, however, in context, combined, uh, those two categories were down by the uh, from the prior year by 406,000. So, a good strong showing in these areas, but not um, you know not at a peak. Uh, whereas we can say the opposite for hotel and meals excise, which is a good indicator for sort of the you know, consumer economy, um, they came in uh, better than planned by 371,000 combined. Um, the hotel excise tax had a very strong improvement from the prior year, 140,000 or 108% above, uh, above the prior year, whereas meals tax also improved 156,000 or 53% over the prior year. Um, so combined hotel and meals excise tax came in at 718,000 and that eclipsed the previous high in 2019 by just over $100,000. So um, so it, it would appear we're on solid footing um, on, on those two areas. Um, the other category that uh, the beat budget significantly was reimbursements um, by 259,000, 231,000 is attributed to school Medicaid reimbursement, something that schools file for. 
and 28,000 are related to uh, primarily to school homeless uh, transportation. Um, all of the other 10 local receipts categories uh, netted out to 50,000 or 57,000 higher than plan. Um, the state aid higher than budget by 230,000, 140,000 was attributed to the charter school reimbursement um, amount and uh, the balance attributed primarily to property tax exemption reimbursements where we give out a property tax exemption of the board of assessors awards that and then we get uh, reimbursed um, a significant percentage of that so uh, that that comes back to us um, and on the expenditure side so you can see exactly um, where the uh, where the um, surplus came in uh, these are the the top nine uh, areas uh, health insurance 287,000 favorable um, it's there were, I was trying to isolate like one item that would explain that but it really was a hodgepodge of items we had fewer um, fewer employees uh, going with the opt-out you know which is uh, an expense we had a, a, a change in the mix of the plans between family and individual and the more expensive plan the less expensive plan um, the counts, you know, were close, but it was really the mix, um, but still positive result there. 287,000. Uh, FinCom Reserve, as you know, uh, ended at 230,000. We only needed um, 370,000 to, to cure uh, year-end issues. Um, executive branch came in positive, 176,000. The, uh, the majority of that came um, on the legal budget line, um, which I'm sure everybody's happy to to hear, um, so that that uh, that budget um, uh, it was not fully fully utilized. So we had a good year, I guess, from a legal expense perspective. Um, trash collection. This was the first year of a new recycling contract that the town administrator had um, uh, negotiated, where in essence we were getting paid um, for. Uh, our recycling product, we were having um, Republic deliver our recyclables to American Waste, and depending upon the mix that was, you know, delivered um, every other week, um, you know, we'd either get paid or it would net out to, you know, to zero. Um, I didn't. I don't believe we had a month where we actually did have to pay. So that was positive to budget. One hundred forty-three thousand was all recycling. Um, assessors had a turn back of 90,000 related to their property revaluation efforts. Um, veterans had a turn back of 75,000. I know many don't like to, to see a turn back there, but that's a reflection of the, um, the caseload um, and those eligible you know, for, for benefits. Um, so that's where that, um, that turn back you know, comes from. Uh, town general insurance, uh, we got more favorable rates than uh, uh, initially planned on on a variety of our insurances, um, debt service sixty five thousand positive. That's our uh, interest um, interest uh, predictions came in a little bit better than uh, than planned. School department turned back over fifty three thousand, and then all of the other twenty three voted budgets uh, re returned eighty seven thousand. So one million two seventy seven coming back from uh, all of these different departments. And then um, this is the estimate on where our cash reserves stand. Um, so uh, we are looking at um, a total reserve position of about 23 and a half million, as you know, comprised of these three components, 
stabilization, 10 million, 26,000. Um, that's, uh, that's down slightly from last year, as you might expect, because of the market. Um, so, you know, we did trend better than the metrics that are used that, that we compare against that our portfolio is, um, is geared towards, um, as Bartholomew, you know, did a nice job um, in, in beating the metrics, but it still, it was a down, it was a down market. And uh, so I think we only lost about 40,000 uh, from where we were last year. Um, our free cash reserve, um, over 8.9 million, that's an estimate, DOR will uh, certify that, but if it comes in like that, I think it's about uh, 450,000 better than where we ended um, last year. And then surplus overlay, uh, which is net of any uh, pending uh, cases or reserves for abatements, um, over four and a half million. And again, that's primarily that increase there, which is a nice increase over a million dollars, is primarily fueled by the new growth, um, new growth uh, property tax that we received. So. 20, I'm looking for about 23 and a half million. And that amounts to 20.29% of the current year's budget, um, you know, above the 15% of budget uh, that um, that's our, our target to maintain our, our AAA. And um, that equates to just over $6 million um, that, uh, you know, can be available um, for policymakers and, and others to um, uh, to uh, identify as possible funding source for for uh, you know things that are are needed in the town. I'm not saying we go spend like Tony said. I'm not saying we go spend the whole six million dollars, but in essence, um, you know, you you could do that and you'd still maintain our uh, would still maintain our um, our rating. So uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of needs that'll come up in the budget process. I'm not sure if it'll come out to the 6 million, but um, but that we're in good good shape to support the um, support the budget uh, process. I wanna move this down so I can see here. Oh, shoot, uh, Tim. Thanks, Randy. Um, right at the top of the presentation, you were talking about the uh, real estate income, uh, real estate tax revenue being better than expected. I think it was 1.8 million right? due to new growth. I'm just curious, when you say new growth, is that because something, um, something came online that we didn't project when we did the revenue forecast, or is it just overall like... Um, collections kind of across the across the portfolio of properties was was up it's um it's the former it's new growth um uh that uh we did not budget for as okay. you recall that's a part of our revenue forecasting discussion you know we go in with the straw man um you know uh based on input from uh the building commissioner and our chief assessor Based on what they they see, and um, and again, it's a it's a difficult thing to predict, but they do their best to, on when they expect the timing of these things to um, uh, you know to, to come online. Um, and uh, you know, this year we uh, we just had had an overachieve there of um, about one and a quarter 
million on the on the new growth itself. Um, I believe if I go back to property tax revenue, it's it says you know we're overachieved by a million one fifty two, but that was reduced by collections that that we didn't receive. But in essence, here um, million and a quarter uh, better than planned. So the good news is is that you know that's now in our base mm. as we roll into the next budget cycle. Sure. Um, that we didn't that we didn't plan on. So that will be there. And then there'll be on top of that, there'll be, of course, uh, more new growth um, that uh, will be asked to, you know, sort of place our bets on based on the advice from Ed and Carolyn on uh, you know what we think it'll come in at next sure. year. What, what you do want to avoid, of course, is overshooting that and then coming up short. So um it's it's a, a good place to to be conservative but this is certainly a good number it's going to help the next budget cycle yeah you definitely want to um come in that way rather than you know like you said overshoot it the other way <laughs> right. thank you right. emilio just as a quick question regarding uh levy uh limits and levy ceilings when does new growth change our math on that is it as soon as it comes online or does it have to like loop to the next fiscal year so a uh, good great question um so new taxable growth um can be captured up through june 30 um of the prior fiscal year i believe canton has accepted that statute um you know traditionally it's as of January 1 of the prior fiscal year, uh, but uh, Canton and most towns that have a lot of growth uh, adopted the statute that says you can you can um, uh, include new taxable growth uh, that's captured up through June 30. So that means um, that uh, all of the, the building permits um, that come in between now and, and June 30 that will translate into you know, taxable growth uh, is something that you will see um, uh, the assessors put forward uh, in our revenue forecast discussion for the next uh, FY24 cycle. Um, so um, I, I believe, uh, you know, Carolyn has been uh, telling me that, you know, it's looking like a, another robust year uh, for the town. So um, I, I'm expecting um, some good numbers like we just saw this this past year again. Um, so now we get to include this one and a quarter million and, uh, we probably will have, uh, some multiple of that. I would expect, uh, don't take that to the bank, but in terms of new growth that we capture by June 30. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Randy. Sure. Um, uh, Mila, do you have another question? Uh, no, I accidentally, I already know. Okay. Already know. <laughs> All right. I just was going to briefly go through the uh, the enterprise funds um, results. Figured with this one here it might just be easier to look at the chart than the words. Um, so, with with the water enterprise fund, um, uh, ent revenues were down from plan by seven hundred seventy one thousand, um, and actually down uh, slightly less than that from the prior year. And um, in talking to uh, Pat Colley, who does the, the water billing uh, for the department, explained that, um, seems like a long lost memory now, but in the summer of 21, which is what these revenue numbers 
do include, I guess it was um, a wet summer. I'm not remembering that. I'm just remembering the dry summer from this year, but apparently last summer it was wet. And so our irrigation revenues um, were off precipitously, no pun intended. Um, so the good news is that even with that pretty dramatic uh, decline from where we were last year and from plan, uh, because our MWRA assessment came in um, 618000 less than we had budgeted, um, and then with some other expense favorability, uh, we came in a million dollars favorable on the expense side. Uh, we were able to net out um, $245,000 better than plan. Um, so as I like to say, between the jigs and the reels, we beat plan uh, on, on the water side. Um, but the way that translates into uh, what uh, I know Dan knows as a member of the um, Water and Sewer Rate Policy Study Committee, that uh, this not having this 700 plus thousand dollars in revenue um, only keeps us further away from our goal uh, of the reserve number that we're, we're targeting, 50% of the operating budget, uh, so that we can have a better mix of debt and cash for our capital projects. So we're still uh, down at, uh, at, at a 15% uh, reserve number as opposed to the 50% reserve number. And this would have increased, put us over 20, maybe at 22%, but, um, but it certainly didn't help that we didn't have that. So I don't, I don't see, um, you know, water rate relief or a flattening of the, of the need for that if we're going to maintain our goals um, on the water side. Uh, on the sewer side, um, had a good good year. We beat our beat our budget by two hundred three thousand on the revenue side. Expenses came in essentially flat. Uh, you know, seventeen hundred ninety dollars uh, over budget, but a net two hundred one thousand uh, favorable. And that puts our reserve position on the sewer side um, at 45% of budget where our target is 50%. As you recall, we tapered off on recommending rate increases uh, for the sewer enterprise in the last cycle. Uh, there, was, there was no increase and um, I imagine that will likely continue uh, pending anything dramatic that changes uh, for the next cycle. And then on the rink enterprise side, um, good to see that our revenues are up from last year. We had about 170,000 in rink revenues. Um, this past year, we had over 366,000. So the rink revenues are coming back um, to plan. It was uh, slightly less, 24,000 less than we anticipated, but expenses were less. Um, and so uh, we were able to, um, to return uh, 56,000 uh, to, uh, to that enterprise funds uh, I'm sorry, 32,000 to that enterprise funds uh, balance, which is I think over 160,000. And then one last point, and uh, Dave, I'll get to your point, your question is that uh, due to the um, never ending uh, amazing efforts by our town accountant, Kathy Butters, um, uh, FEMA, I think is ultimately going to be sending us a check for uh, $750,000 related to the rink collapse. So we didn't get the, the big money, the capital money that we were looking for, but we got some FEMA relief. And that's um, after checking with DOR, that's going to go right into the Rink Enterprise Fund because that's where it belongs. So well, the Rink Enterprise uh, should be in great shape uh, with the benefit of that going forward. Dave. 
You're muted. Able to unmute? No. Trying to do it for you, but I can't. <laughs> All right. If, if that, if you resolve that, we'll come back to it. Um, are there any other questions on the enterprise? Or if you also, or if you want to, Dave, if you want to use the chat, then we can read out. There you go. To everybody. Yeah. So. Have a mic issue. All right. If it comes back, we'll get back to your question. Um, and then the. And Emilio has a question as well, Randy. Okay. Thank you, uh, Emilio. Uh, Randy, on the Rink Enterprise Fund, is there a target for that reserve? No, there isn't. Uh, we were just looking for the, the rink to be able to stand on its own. Um, to be, remember, it's carrying. Um, uh, you know, debt service charges now of approximately 110,000 a year, which is pretty substantial, you know, for the uh, 2 million that we needed to borrow as part of the, the overall, I think $11 million for that project. Um, so we were looking to be able to, you know, keep our heads above water and maintain operations. Um, so uh, looks like we've achieved that. Um, and now with a, a pretty substantial cushion um, in the, uh, uh, in the, uh, well, t expected to, to come into retained earnings. Um, I would imagine, uh, this committee will have further discussion about, um, you know, best uses of that, whether it's to, um, you know, put that towards debt service, uh, or to have a, in reserve for, you know, major repairs down the road. So, you know, it's something we can discuss, um, you know, in a future meeting, but there's no no specific target uh, because there there really should not be any major capital expenses for that venue for for some time. Whereas with water and sewer, that's ongoing. We'll have those every year. Thanks, Randy. Sure, Karen. Um, another question on the rink. So it looks like the surplus was all in in salaries and wages, and yep. it looks like we doubled our budget from sixty four thousand to one hundred twenty one presumably because it wasn't open the full year and this past year was open more, but we spent about the same around 36 K. Do you think we just were understaffed or didn't hire folks that we were going to plan it on hire? Do we know the answer to that? Yes, we do. And the, in the, in the full disclosure answer is that um, uh, much of uh, these salaries and wages were absorbed directly um, by the recreation department. Um, with the transition um, in the um, director position, uh, this was uh, something that um, uh, went under the radar in terms of allocating, you know, sending allocating expense uh, amounts, you know, to accounting to, recla to reclass those. Um, so uh, I've spoken to the, the director about that. He's, he's aware of that. And we've had a discussion in accounting. So uh, we're going to make sure that um, that in this coming season that just started, I think this week or last week, uh, that we're going to be allocating um, 
those employees' expenses uh, more towards um, towards the rink at the prize than uh, than we did this past year. And that makes sense because I think I saw the um, the Parks and Rec was over on the salary line, so that makes sense. Exactly, exactly, and and the, and this is why. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Randy. Welcome. Dave just rejoined us. I was going to ask if his mic is working. Dave, is your mic working? Nope. Oh, oh, here it is. All right. Shoot, I still can't hear you. Volume. Not coming through. No. But as, as Cindy said, if you want to put something in the chat, go right ahead. Um, so while Dave's doing that, I was just going to show one last thing, Cindy, um, which mm -hmm. was the draft milestone calendar. And then also uh, in that context, talk about um, some points that have been raised about next fiscal year, et cetera, the challenges. So um, I'll, I'll make this a little bit larger so it's more readable. Probably gonna push some of it off the page, but. Um, so this is uh, the, the same draft uh, FY24 budget milestone calendar uh, as we had last year. Um, just the dates have changed to sync up, you know, with the calendar. Um, uh, so we've already started uh, last week, sent out the capital budget request memo, all the boards and committees. Uh, we're looking for responses by November 7th, and we'll start the internal reviews on that. Um, I did want to mention something about CPA. Uh, some of you may or may not have uh, heard um, that um, uh, the CCPC um, is going through their own transitions in terms of administrative support. And so they may or may not be in a good position uh, to support taking um, new grant round uh, applications. Uh, I believe they're going to be taking that up in one of the next meetings to resolve that. So that's why I have noted up here under the CPA line timeline for the next CPA grant round will be communicated at a later date. Typically, we communicate that with the capital memo September 15th. Um, but just for everybody's um, clarity, um, there will be a CPA article for the warrant regardless, uh, because there are three things that have to be addressed. Um, one is is that uh, ten percent of the estimated revenues um, have to be voted into each of the three buckets, um, you know, housing, recreation, historical. So that has to be done, um, and then uh, there has to be uh, that's one motion. There's got to be another motion for uh, funding uh, the administrative support, uh, which uh, administrator was just hired, and then uh, we do need the continuing funding for the. Uh, debt service for the Revere property, um, approximately just over 200,000. So those are three motions under that article, you know, that will definitely come forward. Um, and uh, I expect we'll hear more from the CCPC going forward on, um, you know, what uh, will be happening uh, with um, applications for the, the new grant round. But I do know that they've got to sort of get, get their, um, uh, get their stuff in order, given that they've got a transition with the administrator. 
Um, the rest of the schedule flows uh, as it has in the past. You see, I've highlighted the capital components and the operating components. Um, uh, and uh, our, our target here is um, May 8th um, for, uh, for town meeting. Um, and that means that uh, we need to finalize everything by April 17th. That's our hard drop dead date um, so that we can, that's when um, Ellen and I need to get everything out to the printer so that it's in the voters' hands by uh, April 24th, uh, you know, two weeks prior to the, the town meeting as per statute. So um, so we've got our, our same work cut out uh, as we have in the past. Um, and um, I believe one of the items on the agenda here, oh, I'm sorry, back to the schedule. So I can tighten up these dates. Uh, be good to know the day of the week um, that FinCom would prefer to meet on. Um, the only, you know, date that I, um, uh, you know, won't, won't work as far as coordinating with me is going to be on Tuesday nights if, if I need to attend a, um, you know, select board meeting. So, um, so I was hoping that would open that up to some discussion. Um, uh, about uh, what what the committee would prefer uh, in terms of the day of the week, um, and before that, I, the last item is um, uh, for me is the um, current financial climate potential implications. Um, so, um, as is no surprise to anybody, I'm sure, um, you know, prices are rising. Um, you know, we're seeing overages uh, in terms of the, you know, bids coming in on, on, on projects. Um, uh, you know, somebody, uh, this was raised at one of our department head meetings. You know, how are we going to manage this? You know, in a new budget cycle, we're doing our best to manage through it in the current cycle. Um, but, you know, my suggestion, and we can discuss it as a, as a committee and also the capital committee, my suggestion would be is that, you um, we have a general uh, contingency uh, for capital, um, you know, to be, you know, voted out, um, you know, not used indiscrimin indiscriminately, but but voted out, you know, either by uh, the FinCom or the CPC or a joint vote or something like that, uh, and some amount to be determined, uh, so that uh, we don't have projects that. Um, just languish and, and don't get completed. And, and then we're waiting an extraordinary amount of time to get assets into service. So uh, that was one approach to um, attempting to, to manage the current economic climate. As far as the borrowing side goes, um, typically would go out to borrow annually in you know, March, April, or, or May. Um, this year, I'm planning to go out in January. Um, uh, because, as you know, interest rate hikes continue to come. There'll probably be another another rate increase this week, uh, putting us at, uh, I think, probably 3%, if, if they come in with 75 basis point, 3% just over the last um, five months, which is pretty dramatic. Um, it definitely impacts our borrowing. Why wouldn't I go earlier than January for the current slate of projects? Because if you pay your first... Uh, half of your debt service payments six months after your bond date. So we bond in January, that trips us into the next fiscal year when we would have a, 
a budget for the borrowing. You know, we don't have incremental budget to borrow in December um, and, you know, pay it in June. So that's one of the ways we're looking to manage here. There's not much I can do about the interest rates. They are rising. I'm seeing rates between three and 4% um, for uh, communities with similar borrowing profiles as we have. And that's up dramatically from, you know, approximately 2% that we had been getting. Um, Randy, can I just ask a question on the contingency that you mentioned? Sure. Um, were you talking about a general contingency or a contingency on every project? General contingency, because we're we're not going to know exactly where, you know, the issues may or may not arise. As you know, with the way that the cash capital motions are voted, there is flexibility within the municipal cash capital and then the school cash capital, meaning if something comes in less that was on that list, those funds are av available um, you know, for another project on the list, not something to be added to the list, mm -hmm. uh, but something within the list that provides, you know, from what I've seen historically, a very modest amount of contingency. So what I'm thinking is the the, the um, cost issues that that I'm seeing are in in the um, you know five to six figure range. Um, so you know, we, it may make sense for us to have a have a healthy contingency that's could apply to any of the um, any of the capital projects, and then in fairness, you know, have it have those funds as they're needed uh, to be uh, voted out by either the FinCom or the CPC or a joint vote of the two, just so it's on an equal playing field. Thank you. Yeah. Dave, how's your mic coming? I think it's working. Can you hear me? Sorry, I had to restart the computer. It was one of those window updates days. Um, so yeah, back to the uh, rink revenue. Um, one suggestion I had was, you know, one thing our rink is lacking is advertisements on all the boards, and that could potentially add some additional revenue for the upcoming fiscal year. So um, there isn't one ad over there, and every other rink in town has them, and that's a, probably a good way to generate some additional funds. I completely agree with you, Dave. Um, that had been a topic of discussion um, with the prior uh, director of recreation. Um, so it's certainly something um, we can ask the current director to uh, to look at. I do know, I looked into it enough to know that um, DCR, uh, Department of Conservation and Recreation, who we lease the building from, uh, does have input and control over that. They don't forbid it. Uh, but they definitely do have um, a certain level of regulation over it. But I, I completely agree. That's a that's certainly an opportunity, and, and I'll I'll speak to our rec director about it. Okay, thank you. Sure, Tim. Maybe we could uh, run commercials during the FinCom meetings and generate some <laughs> revenue too. Because I don't think the ratings are that high. Our audience base <laughs> is so big. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <clears throat> All right. So as um just back to a, a preference uh, day of the week that FinCom would like to meet on. So let me just put one out there to start the conversation. Um Amelia, go ahead and you might have a um I just had first of all just a quick question about um ca the capital general contingency. 
And um, as far as I think weekdays and uh, probably any weekday would work for me as long as it's like I know in advance. Um, the uh, with regard to capital, so would that contingency fund be deducted from school and municipal capital for this upcoming year, or would this be a separate parallel action by FinCom? Um, it's a good question. And again, it, it's not a decision to be made by me. Um, all, all I can do is recommend. Um, but given the environment that we're in, um, uh, my advice would be not to deduct it from our allocated capital plan, but have it as an addition to, you know, which in essence is uh, it's, its own little inflation factor to be used as needed. But again, that's just a recommendation, and I'm going to defer to, you know, the policymakers here and capital committee on on um, what they think. But um, as they had mentioned uh, earlier in the discussion. Um, you know, we, that may be a, a good use for a portion or a small portion of our um, excess reserve. Um, and then when it's all said and done, when the everything is procured, um, certainly any excess on that line and the contingency line go right back into, in, into free cash. And uh, I just, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, what year are we uh, in the capital budget cycle? Um, we are approaching uh, the FY24 capital budget cycle. That's the, our, the memo just went out uh, last week, speaks to the FY24 cycle. We're currently in fiscal 23. So in the, no, but in the, like, is there the five-year capital cycle that's kind of built out for capital? Uh, which year of the, like, five-year cycle? Or, like, we near the end where there's less mobility of what we've kind of allocated? Um, like when you no. look at the table and there's like the five years of kind of what we've kind of projected. So like in the early part of the cycle, there's more flexibility to like move things around. And when you get kind of to the end, you're kind of more at the end of a five year. Right. Yeah, there's, um, I, I can't answer that definitively until all the departments come back with their updated five-year capital plans. Um, you know, what I sent out in the memo, which I believe Ellen uh, may have distributed to all of you, um, you know, shows a balanced um, next five years, but we only get to balance by moving items out to year six. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what comes in. Um, and I would, you know, just like any year, I'm sure there's going to be more requests that we actually have dollars for. Thanks, Randy. Sure. So perhaps the next place we'll go, um, maybe while we're just looking at the calendar is to see if we can come up with a date. And I was gonna propose just to have a starting place on whether Wednesdays would work for folks um, as a potential standing time. I know that's what we've done in the past. <clears throat> um, I see a couple of head nods. Any? Dan's good. How about you, Dave? So speaking of hockey, that's um, at hockey at that rink until seven o'clock on Wednesdays. So our meetings start around um, seven, and you know I would be late every Wednesday. Was the case that started at seven? 
Do Mondays um, work as an alternative? Tuesdays we want to stay away with away from because they Mondays, yeah. Mondays could probably work better. Um, you know, we have soccer till 645, but you know, daylight's getting shorter, so that, that'll probably um end sooner. Um so yeah, Mondays would be better than Wednesdays for me being on time at least. Uh, what about for others? I want to make sure that we don't have others who have sort of conflicts on Mondays. It does um, potentially bump us into the holidays, but um, we can deal with those weeks on a case-by-case -case basis. Works okay for me. Yeah. Anna, Karen? Good with either day. All right. Why don't um, we do a quick check-in with the members who aren't here this evening to just check and make sure we don't have something um and i think at times when we've had to go to two we would probably be looking to do like a monday and wednesday so dave we, you know we can always do a 715 start yeah you know i can be flexible you know um maybe have my wife go on wednesdays or something if, if yeah. it comes down to it um i just have to have that talk with her and get back to you once we all agree on a, a date okay let me reach out to the um, members who aren't here this evening we'll just see where we land and um can get back to folks. Um, we don't necessarily have a meeting to be scheduled right now. I don't think, Randy, do we? <clears throat> Correct. We'll be waiting till there's sort of something on the agenda to get something scheduled, but at least we can get a standing date um, just so people can plan. Um, the other issue is just whether we wanna continue with virtual meetings. Um, we have the option to do that. Currently, is it through March, Randy? Yes. Um, so the governor's extended that um, option. And so, you know, just want to do a quick check-in to see whether it could confirm whether people want to continue to meet virtually. Hybrid really isn't an option right now. Um, so we either need to have in-person meetings or Zoom meetings. I prefer in person myself, you know, unless you want to get to know my kids a little bit better. I'm sure they'll be running in the room here and there. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I, I, I would prefer in person. Um, but I'm, I'm open to, you know, whatever the committee decides. See, I think it's easier on Zoom, but I'm, I'm fine with either. Yeah, I'm okay either way. All right, let me, um, and Amelia, I don't know if you have strong feelings one way or another. I'm fine either way. I think Zoom or in-person are fine. One thought, though, is that we should keep the in-Zoom capacity, even if we do meet in person, particularly where our budget cycle is in the middle of also snow season. If we see a, a storm coming, we could theoretically within 48 hours, before 48 hours of the meeting change to Zoom mm -hmm. and not get behind on the, the schedule, since particularly at that time of year, it's a hectic schedule for FinCon. All right, well, let me, um, I, once again, I, so I'll, I'm kind of taking a sense of the meeting today, and then I'll reach out to our other members and based on the feedback, get there, come back with a game plan, if that sounds okay. Okay. The other agenda item that we had um, was to talk about establishing a subcommittee on salaries of elected officials. Um, this is something we've talked about. <laughs> for those of you who've been on the FinCom for a while, you know we've talked about it year after year. We've never taken action. We discussed it last year. It's really something we need to work on this fall in order to be prepared to recommend a plan if we recommend it, if we feel a change is needed to recommend a plan to town meeting. 
Um, and there seemed to be the interest in this from our um, previous discussions. I think though what we would be looking to do is um, obviously collect a little bit of historical information on like, how did we get to where we are? <laughs> you know, are there reasons why we have, have the structure we do? Um, the second thing would be with Randy's help identifying uh, comparison towns that are appropriate in terms of size and structure, I think is also, you know, something that matters here. Um, and then doing a bit of research to really just identify what their procedures, policies are on compensation of elected officials. And we would want to include in that um, also any information about eligibility for um, health insurance, because that is part of the compensation issue. So um, I think what we'd like to do is identify, I mean, the more subcommittee members, the lighter the load, <laughs> um, you know, in terms of dividing up the towns and, and you know, ideally being able to make a phone call or two, um, it could require something a little bit more than that, depending on the responsiveness. And I think Randy's happy to help us kind of identify some contacts and how we identify towns. So um, I think what I'm looking for at this point is um, I think three would be an ideal subcommittee, um, but two would probably work as well. Um, so whether anyone would be willing to take this on and, and uh, serve on the subcommittee to look at the uh, salaries of elected officials. You know, I guess I could uh, sign up to do that. Um, I guess I would want to know like what I'm like who I'd have to reach out to, um, what I need to discover if it's um, just health insurance or if there's other benefits associated with it, or if we're just looking at like a general consensus as opposed to like individual compensation. Um, if there's a little bit of direction, you know, like I'd be happy to, you know, at least get started on it. You know, my general suggestion for a project like this, this is this is at least how I would approach it, is really probably to kind of create a spreadsheet, um, you know, a shared document, if you will, um, identify consistent group of questions <laughs> so that we're all collecting the same information and then we can document it and that allows us to analyze it in a consistent fashion. So we want to make sure we're not comparing apples and oranges, but rather comparing apples and apples. Um, so I think, you know, what the stipend is, uh, you know, if the uh, person, and actually even how it's getting paid, is it a stipend? What is the, the structure? For, so what is the compensation? How is it structured? What is the eligibility for health insurance? I think, Randy, are those the three key questions that you- Yes, and, and how much? How much, <laughs> right. So what is the compensation? How much? <laughs> um, and so we could set up something, you know, some kind of a standard document so that we're all doing the same thing. Dave, I think that's important. Thank you for volunteering. Or is this something we could just maybe have the, uh, like a member of HR come in and kind of tell us, it's only three positions, I believe, um, select board, uh, the assessors and uh, one other one. It's, I can't remember off the top of my head, the other group of elected officials, but couldn't the, HR come in and just, you know, give us the lowdown within, you know, like a half hour and just present it to the whole committee? Or is that something we need to dive deeper into? So I think for Canton, yes. I think the critical question is that we want to identify what other town practices are. So I think um, 
you know, and we may have to dig elsewhere to get some of the historical basis for it because I don't know some of these go back many years. I don't know that HR current HR will even have that. I, I'm not even sure. It's got you know the John Connollys of the world may have some context. I'm sure some of the folks who are getting stipends will have some something to say. But um, so I think we you know we know what the stipends are for for Canton. So that information is a given. We vote on that at town meeting. So it'll be a question of getting that information. And we would want to be including getting it about boards that don't currently get paid, get uh, any compensation here in Canton. So Amelia? Uh, Cindy, I'd also be willing to help. Excellent. <clears throat> All right, so we have um, two folks willing to help. And so maybe Randy, we can do some follow-up might uh, you know benefit from a brief meeting for perhaps myself, Randy, and and Dave and Emilio. That, that's not a quorum, so we're okay, right? <laughs> Certainly, yes. But, um, and we can maybe work through kind of the the method, if you will, um, and um, get a kind of get a time frame that Okay, excellent. All right, the final item on the agenda was um, just a reminder that we are currently down one member. Um, and as of some point in late November, December, we will be down two. As Tom um, has some other new responsibilities, I think he shared with uh, committee members and um, we'll need to be stepping down from the committee. Um, and so I'd welcome you to think about who you know, <laughs> you know, who might be um, a good person to join the committee. Uh, Tim did do an outreach, um, I want to say, after town meeting, um, and uh, we didn't really get any uh, volunteers at that time. Um, I think that I will probably do another similar thing again, kind of reconnect um, through the citizen to see if we can get any volunteers. But I think networking is kind of a great way to get some folks. Um, I know Emilio did suggest whether we want to tap any past income members or, um, you know, capital planning. I, I'd want to be careful about pulling people out of capital planning and then they have a problem, <laughs> um, you know, particularly as we're going into this type of time of the year. Um, so, I, you know, I certainly think if you've got, you know, networks or contacts that, you know, you think would be good, whether they're previous FinCon members or not, um, you know, why don't you let me know? And then we can talk about, you know, they do have to get appointed by the moderator who currently is Dick Stady. So typically the process has been that, you know, we try to get names. We um, uh, usually have a conversation with them to just talk a little bit about what FinCom's all about, what the responsibility is. Sometimes, for example, CPAs who do taxes um, find that our schedule in January, February, March, and April can be a challenge. It doesn't mean they wouldn't make great members, but I, I think historically folks have found that that's a, that's a challenge. So um, any suggestions you have in that vein would be really appreciated. Uh, you know, one of the concerns get to be when we get down a member and then definitely when we get down to is having a quorum. Is this something we might want to put like on, on Facebook on everything canted? I wondered about that, Karen. What do folks think about that? I mean, I could certainly put up the draft, like once I do a letter for the citizen, I could then put that same 
you know, maybe abbreviated, <laughs> but a version of that up on the Everything Canton page. I mean, certainly you get a lot of people who pay attention there. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked how many people I've learned recently don't get the citizens. So maybe we'll we'll see folks that wouldn't wouldn't see it in the paper. Yeah, good point. Amelia? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think um, putting it in different media to try to kind of cast a wide net, um, you know, because different people get info different ways. And so definitely uh, Everything Canton is another place where we may get a different, you know, group of folks than in the newspaper. So I think uh, that's a good idea. Also, if there's um, a way to maybe um, promote that, um, in some way at um, town events or activities, or maybe on the message board of the Canton television um, or things like that, where we may get, particularly where the Canton television channel 42 has a lot of these meetings. Um, so we may have viewers at home that may watch meetings like this and might be interested, you know, a specific targeted group of, of uh, residents. So mindful that we have CCTV here and recording our meeting today, I will just say publicly that if anyone is um, interested in learning more about the Finance Committee and how they might um, get involved, what we do, uh, the time commitment, that you are welcome to um, uh, maybe reach out via Randy Scollins, who can pass your information along to me. Um, Randy, do you want to just mention what your email address is? Certainly. Our as in Randy, Scollins, S-C-O-L-L-I-N-S, at town.canton.ma.us. So rscollins at town.canton.ma.us. And so Randy will send that out if he gets any, if you contact Randy, he will um, then forward that information on to me and we'd be happy to talk to you about what the roles and responsibilities are for the FinCom members. Thanks, Emilio, using more of a pitch even right now. Um, and then we can do a follow-up um, in terms of whether, you know, on any of the announcements that just kind of roll there on cable, um, how we, we can follow up to figure out how to go about doing that. So great suggestions, because um, we do need to get out the message out wider. All right. Any other business? Ellen. Cindy, I think Ellen has her hand up. Ellen has her hand up. Uh, yes, Madam Chair, there is actually a email address for the FinCom. Oh, okay. I believe it's fincom at town.canton.ma.us. I can okay. double check on that. That would be great. And I will follow up with you offline about how that gets checked and what needs to come to the FinCom. So. All right, and then we do have, I jumped ahead, we do have minutes to be approved for July 13th. Um, they did just go out, I think, today. So if folks have had a chance to read them, we would welcome the opportunity to approve, approve them today. But if you need to, more time to review, then we can hold them to our next meeting. So one comment I have on the minutes is that I voted um, for the chair, it looked like, but I was not at the meeting. Okay. Um, I think it's probably a misprinted Dan's name probably should have been entered in there.
Other than it, with that amendment, are folks ready to vote or do you want to defer? I see Tim's ready to vote. Anybody else ready or, and I assume Dave is with that amendment because obviously he reviewed them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Million and Karen ready to vote? Did we decide if we weren't there, we could still vote? Is that the rule? I, I did you read can. it. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, do I have a motion to um, approve the minutes with the amendment uh, requested by Dave? I move that the Finance Committee accept the minutes for July 13, 2022 as amended. Second. All in favor? Uh, roll call, Randy. Would you like to? Yes, Madam Chair. Dan. Aye. Karen. Aye. Tim. Aye. Emilio. Aye. Dave. Aye. And Cindy. Aye. Unanimous 600, Madam Chair. Excellent. Any other business for today? Is there an update on St. Gerard's? Uh, I recently drove by there and I saw there was a big X on it, which wow. indicates that the building's probably condemned at this point. Is that safe to say? I, I don't know. I know there's a committee that's been appointed to um, to vet ideas on best use, but that, that's all I know. My understanding is those X's and firefighters don't need to enter the building. That's I, I don't know that it's been condemned, but I think it does indicate that firefighters don't need to go in. So, but we chief duty could probably tell us better. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Thank you. Do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Okay. All in favor? Aye. Do we need a roll call uh, for adjournment? <laughs> sure, uh, Emilio. Aye. Dave. Aye. Cindy. Aye. Dan. Aye. Karen. Aye. And Tim. Aye. 600, Madam Chair, we are adjourned. Great. Thank you very Have much, everybody, and we will be in touch soon.